Well, it is time for the Mainland Podcast, everybody. I am Michael Citro, and this is the, uh, you know, our our little blogs podcast. We do it every week, and uh, except last week because we had a little crowded fixtures going on. Uh, I'm joined this week, as always, by my intrepid staff, uh, Andrew Marcinko and Austin David. Guys, welcome to the Mainland Podcast. What's up, Michael? Thanks for having me. It's good to be back after almost two weeks of being away. You know, Andrew and I both. I think we graduated. This is the first one we've done since we graduated from college. I'd like to be introduced as Master Marcinko now, Michael. Oh, okay. oh, come on now. Can we come on now. now. Come on now. So, you know, that was interesting because Austin went for the humble brag, and then Andrew just threw the humble part way out. <laughs> and went, <laughs> went yeah, for the brag. Hey, I mean, he went for it. I'll give him credit for that. But. <laughs> so a lot has happened. We wanted to do one of these last week, but, man, it was a, just a crowded, crowded week last week with the extra game, and we didn't get to do uh, get, do one before the, the game in midweek. So uh, we've got a lot to talk about as a result, and uh, we're going to start with the D.C. United midweek game, which started out great, uh, and then like was great for a long, long time, and then it wasn't great anymore. Once Aurelian Collin got injured, uh, pulled up lame with a hammy, things got really scary because the, the team was already shorthanded. They didn't even field a full 18 for the game, and when Collin went down, uh, Connor Donovan being away with the USMNT U20 team, and uh, Tommy Redding picking up a knock, and Seb Hines picking up a knock, and he was on the bench, but he was unavailable, really, with a quad injury, uh, it became time to put Tyler Turner in at center back. And from then, it was just a matter of, this is not going to go well if Orlando City can't maintain possession, and they continue to try to play defensive ball without, uh, you know, keeping control of the ball, and then next thing you know, there's two balls in the net in 10 minutes and your your one nothing lead on the road turns into a 2-1 defeat. Guys, how did you see that? I'm going to start with you, Andrew. How did you see that game in terms of overall play and, um, you know, what were your thoughts overall? I mean, you said it talking about the, the, the players that were missing, uh, Hines, Redding, uh, Donovan, and then when, when Colin goes out, that's Hard to overcome. I'm not convinced Orlando is a particularly deep team regardless, but the, the top four center backs there all being out is not easy to overcome. And when Tyler Turner comes in, I mean, he's a future with a bright potential at fullback, but he's not really there yet at fullback, and he's certainly not an MLS starting caliber center back. Uh, if you look at that, that starting 11 that was out there that day with, uh, with the injuries we already have, and with Tyler Turner at center back, I'm not sure that team wins another game this season. If that's the 11 <laughs> and, you have on the field, so and not only that, but Amobi Okugo was out with a suspension for a yellow card accumulation, so he wasn't even available. Right? Yeah. If that if that's the 11 guys you want to play for the rest of the season, we might have two or three more wins if we're lucky, sort of thing. So not really any huge shock that that team managed to give up a couple of goals and, and lose a game. That's what it is. It's unfortunate. You know, it speaks a little bit to Orlando's lack of depth, but, but also just the circumstances a little bit between the call-ups and a whole rash of injuries there. It really, no chance for that team to win that game. And Austin, I think that maybe even Orlando could have survived and pulled out at least a draw had its captain not had his worst game of the season. Kaká was not very good against D.C. United, was he? <laughs> oh, uh, that might be an understatement. I... I 
I almost feel bad talking about Kaka in a negative light just because of all the good stuff he's done. But, I mean, to, <laughs> to, to say it, he was terrible. I mean, he was absolutely terrible. And the, the kind of culmination of that really bad game came on that second goal for DC United where he, he tried to dribble between two defenders uh, kind of lost it, and then just stopped and turned and, and watched them go on the counterattack and, and score. And he, he just he just sat back and watched it, really. And boy, oh boy, <laughs> a lot of people on Twitter, on Facebook, on, on TV, they all got on him about it. And he's like, you're being paid $7 million to sit and watch people score after giving away a ball? Yeah, that's that's kind of unacceptable. And you you heard Taylor Twellman on the the broadcast for the the LA Galaxy game. He's like, you know, I'm really critical of Kaká. He's been so bad lately. He's not worth seven million dollars, and he's got to step up. Luckily, he he did, and he you know kind of silenced the uh, silenced the critics for just a bit. But yeah, he mm-hmm. it was it was not a good uh, good day for Orlando's well, designated well, player. I don't want to jump ahead of here, but but I think you can sort of see the transitioning happening if you look at this past weekend's game uh, against the Galaxy. Again, I apologize if I'm jumping ahead of our uh, match schedule. We've missed a few <laughs> matches here. But I, I think my theory on this, at least, is that the, the Molino injury has really impacted Kaká because Breck Shea is a very different player than Kevin Molino. Uh, we saw in the first uh, you know eight games there, I think it was, uh, seven or eight games with Molino, uh, where they were, they were a possession team. They wanted to pass the ball outside the box at about that that 30, 25 yards from goal. They wanted to pass the ball around out there, back and forth, back and forth, looking for openings. Uh, and that was sort of the, their two games. That's not Breck Shea's game. He's a more direct player. Uh, he, he's going to make one or two passes and look to make something happen at goal. And I think this last couple games where it seemed like Kaká has struggled uh, previous to the L.A. game has been him sort of in an adjustment period to that, having his primary mm-hmm. attacking partner be Breck Shea, a little more direct. But I think you saw in the L.A. game, all of a sudden he wasn't looking for those lateral passes in possession. He was looking for the through balls. We saw it to, uh, I think it was a through ball to Rafael Ramos, if I'm correct, Yes, that led to for that first, first goal. goal. That yeah. was really fantastic. And that was a more direct play than we'd seen from him in the first uh the first half dozen games or so, and I think we saw a little bit. He started to adjust it to that attacking style that Breck Shea brings. Well, here's what I think. I think that that MLS, just like any other league, is a game. It's a league of adjustments. And what happens is Orlando City comes into the league. They're not on film. They're, nobody has tape on them. So Kaká comes out and he does his thing. First few games looks great. Other teams start to see him on film, start to adjust what they do to him. So he goes into a period where he doesn't get as many shots. He doesn't get as many chances. Then Molino goes down, and you have Shea move up. Now Kaká's used to playing sort of... He sort of has a natural tendency to drift left. So that makes it natural for him to play with the guy on his right. So this this two-game spell, their first two games together with Breck Shea, were his two worst games of the season. And it, it was another adjustment of period. So I, th- I think there was a combination of things. You, you know, you've got... You know, they came out, played pretty well the first few games. You know, then they were on film. Teams got to see a little bit about them, dissect them a little bit, adjust to what they're doing, kind of control Kaká a little bit. Then you get Breck Shea move up to the front. Another adjustment, that takes a couple games to figure out. Then this past week, and, you know, we can we can jump into the L.A. game now, but this past week, Adrian Heath said he wanted his players 
fewer touches on the ball, quicker passing. He told Breck Shea specifically, I want you to get the ball off your foot, run behind the defense to see if we can find you. And the, the offense looked like a completely different offense. So, you know, I think good adjustments uh, both ways by Orlando City's opponents and then by Adrian Heath. Um, and, and this is just something we're going to have to work through for the first year through this league is, is getting to know what everybody's doing and, uh, you know, figuring that out and, and making adjustments. And, and hopefully uh, Adrian will make better adjustments than the opposition. Um, so let's get on with the, the L.A. game. We're going to move on to that, and we're going to talk about the big win. First home victory for Orlando City SC, and it couldn't have been a, a more unbelievable and astounding <laughs> result at home. Uh, it, you know, the third game in eight uh, nine days, and 4-0. Did you see that coming at all, Andrew? No. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say I predicted 4 nothing win for Orlando City at home, a team who hadn't, hadn't won one home game yet this season uh, against the defending MLS champions, no less. Granted, I, I was a little more confident after seeing the Galaxy's starting 11 for the match, um, not to take any credit away from what was a good performance, and it was still a perfectly respectable Galaxy team, but you saw a lot of their, a lot of their starters were missing. I think the the stat was their their three players up front had an average age of 21, and they didn't have any designated players on the field. So that, that's not exactly the LA Galaxy of lore, so to speak. Uh, de- okay. Definitely a diluted lineup that, that they brought to Orlando for whatever reason, injuries, a few other things. So not to steal any credit, but let's not get too excited. Let's not let's freak out yet, uh, quite, quite yet. All right, well, I'm not going to cry about a team being undermanned because uh, of what's been going on with Orlando City this year. Plus, some very good players still on the field. Ishizaki's mm-hmm. a great player. Husidic is a great player. Jesse Zarda is a good player. Um, not to mention really, uh, Pineda is the goalie scoring four goals yeah. on him. I, I can't imagine the last time a team has scored. I think I, I actually looked it up. The last time a team has scored four goals on L.A. was uh, Manchester United visited for a friendly last year. <laughs> and I, I frankly didn't have the time to go back far enough to see the last time a team has scored four goals on the L.A. Galaxy. So I think I th- it was the largest largest uh, victory by an expansion team over a defending champion in uh, MLS history. Sure. But I wanted to ask you, Austin, um, specifically about the way that Orlando City's midfield dominated L.A., specifically the defensive midfield uh, pairing of Christian Higuita and Darwin Saren, a little bit of a surprise that Akuga wasn't inserted back into the lineup, but those two really played well, and they were singled out by Adrian Heath after the game. Yeah, and, you know, the thing with Akugo, he he had a really bad game, um, you know, when he, he received his uh, yellow card accumulation um, back in New England. Uh, or against New England, and uh, you know I, you don't know what's going on with uh, you know, behind the scenes and whatnot. But uh, you know, Christian Higuita, he was he was coming in to to be one of the guys in the defensive midfield. You know, Kakab before the season, he's like, I like this guy. Uh, him and Kevin Molino, he singled out before the season, so uh, it's nice to see him kind of not being uh, hurt. Because he seems to be hurt every so often, uh, concussion, hamstring, you know, same with everyone else. I think the hamstring injury is the uh, the injury, uh, you know, the 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 injury of choice for for the MLS this year. It seems like everyone's kind of just dropping like flies with that. But 
you know, in in terms of uh, Darwin Seren, I mean, what what can you say about this guy? He's he's a consummate professional. First of all, you know, he's been kind of biding his time and, and waiting for for the the right opportunity to to come in and and show what he can do. We saw him last year in USL. Most people just thought of him as another USL holdover, uh, not going to get much time playing because of Amobi Okugo and Higuita coming in. Uh, and he's you know he's he's really done well. Uh, with the time he's been on the field, really kind of dominated that defensive midfield. Um, and you saw it last week, uh, or yeah, last Sunday against LA. He he kind of showed everybody up and uh, scored a nice uh, 40-yarder from just outside the box. Took a deflection, but he was pretty close on one of his earlier shots that uh, rang off the crossbar. So you know, hopefully uh, he can he can maintain this uh, this productivity, both him and Higuita. And uh, if that if that can uh, that can continue, hopefully uh, the success will is of Orlando City. Yeah, and it's tough. It's tough to really you know pinpoint what the difference was there. I, I'm sort of at a loss for you know Okugo went out. Okugo has been a really good player in Major League Soccer for a long time, and I, and I thought he brought some good stuff in the first and opening matches of the season. You know, he's not a flashy offensive player, but he brings some. Some control, just simple, direct passes, kind of a, a Beckerman type, um, just pretty straightforward. So I, I don't know what the difference was having this. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. What the what the big difference was having those two in and Akugo out? Well, I think for me the the difference is that they're they're both more aggressive players, and I think that that Adrian Heath t- talked to his team this week about being on the front foot. And I don't think Amobi Okugo, as as good as he is at what he does, is a front foot type player. He's a very conservative defender. I mean, he's even played you know a lot of central defense, and now he's being asked to play midfield, which is his choice. He wants to play uh, that defensive mid role, but I don't think he has the same offensive instincts and that that aggression to turn the ball, get the ball turned over, and get it upfield. He turn he tends to take the ball away. And pass off and find a you know find just an easy you know outlet. Whereas you know somebody like Sarah and somebody like Agita will not only take the ball, they'll get a couple dribbles and and try to play it forward to a teammate on the move. Yeah, and you saw that uh, that move with Saren where he he beat uh, two defenders on his way to the uh, to the wing where he you know both defenders kind of fell uh, as he ran. But you saw him you know taking it way far up the field and you know getting to a point where he could cross the ball in. You don't. You never see um, you know, Amobi Okuga doing that. He's always you know staying back and being that one guy back. But sometimes you know with with the system that Adrian Heath has in place, it's always nice to have those guys always going forward. This way, it's not it's not very predictable for the other team to try and figure out. Okay, this guy's going to stay back. I don't need to worry about him going forward. And it kind of throws a little monkey wrench into the uh, into this uh, you know strategy of the opponents. Well, let's. I don't. I don't mean to put you guys on the spot here, but let's. You know, is Amobi Akugo out of the starting eleven right now going forward for Orlando City? I. I would say I. I saw him looking pretty dejected at his locker after the match in at LA. I'm going to answer that by saying it depends really on the opponent. I think Adrian Heath's going to look at his personnel. He's going to look at the type of game that he needs to play. And when I look ahead to Sunday and I think about the San Jose Earthquakes, I see a team that doesn't. Uh, they're not a, a big counterattacking team. They're not a they're not a team that I think is is the same style of team that that an LA maybe not quite as open. Uh, they're a little more guarded. 
And that's the kind of team that Amobi Okugo, I think, is very good against. So you may even see him go back to the starting lineup this week or at least be a quick early guy off the bench if things aren't going well in the midfield. Yeah, I'd tend to agree with that. Um, you know, the th- the, with Higuita and Saren, they always they have that upside of speed and getting forward. But you know, like Michael said, it, it all depends on the opponent. If it, if if, it, if the opponent calls for someone staying back and being that guy who's always reliable, then I think Okugo is the guy to put in. Well, I, 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 I find maybe hard to believe it, they'd switch from what worked so well against <laughs> LA this week. So I. I I can't believe that. I imagine they'll start Aguida and Saren again um, this weekend, but that worries me because I haven't seen either of them play much defense, and I'm not convinced that either of them can really stand up to be a, a, a stopper in that defensive midfield when called upon. Well, the the interesting thing too that you have to remember may have played into Akugo starting on the bench is that the central defense pairing needed somebody on the bench in case something happened. Right. So maybe maybe Akugo was left on the bench as an emergency replacement for Hines or St. Ledger. Right. Uh, and then when things were going well, you know, later in the game, they put him in and figured then if somebody something happened to one of those guys, he can move back. But uh, that, that may have also played into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Kyle Lahren because this guy's scoring some goals. Mm. So uh, we should give him some air time. Mm-hmm. Um First pick in the Super Draft this past, uh, was it January when we did this? Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed like we were having a draft every week there for a while. Uh, but Kyle Laren comes in. He's, he's out of UConn. He's a Canadian international, plays with their men's national team. He you know, is a guy you want to bring along slowly because rookies just generally, offensive-minded rookies, don't tend to do well in MLS or really any of the major leagues. And... You know, out of necessity, he gets thrown in, and uh, all he's done is score four goals in MLS, five in all competitions, and I think a total of seven starts. So, not too bad. No, not at all. What's he, he's, he's scored in his last four games now, including the friendly. Is that right? Like, just incredible, uh, incredible yep. performances. And, and what's really struck me is the improvement, too. It's not just that he's scoring and, and, and consistently playing well. It seems like every week you see some new facet of his game looking better than it has. I thought his hold-up play was the best I've seen so far this season against L.A. He was really, a lot of times, he was still even playing so, you know, the team playing so well, he was the lone forward up there and was really mm-hmm. able to settle the ball and, and allow his teammates to come up before before making a pass. So I thought that was the best I've seen out of him there. Obviously, he's been finishing well, but it's just little things every game he seems to be getting just a little bit better and a little bit better at. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, it's 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 it, at, at this point, it's you know, looking back at it, it was only a matter of time until Laren started kind of getting comfortable with the entirety of MLS and playing with his his teammates in Orlando. Uh, we all knew he had the capability of of scoring goals. It was just a matter of you know when will he be able to uh, to kind of hit that switch and and really show us what he. Uh, you know, what he showed off in UConn that made him that number one pick. And, uh, you know, today on MLSsoccer.com, they were they were comparing Wondolowski with him. And, and you know, it's it's kind of a wild ride to think if you, uh, you know, like a month ago, we were saying, oh, when's Patterson coming back because we have no one to score. And now it's kind of like, well, now we've got this kid in Kyle Aaron, so we don't have to worry about that as much. 
That's true. And, you know, Kyle uh, has played so well that even now with Patterson getting healthy, Patterson's going to have to come off the bench and, and, and earn his way onto the field because Laren's in good form. As Andrew mentioned, he seems to get better every game now. He's gaining confidence, growing in confidence. He's doing little things better. He's get, you know he's attacking the ball in the air. His hold-up play is getting better. In this last week, last Sunday against L.A., um, you know, Baggio Husidic was playing left back, which he doesn't normally do. And Laren recognized that and absolutely torched him a number of times and also tortured uh, Leonardo back there as well. I mean, he was coming up that right side just abusing those two guys left and right. He also tried a little a bit of a cheeky chip from long range. It didn't quite pull off, but um, he's, he's looking dangerous, you know, more than just once or twice a game now. It started out where he would convert one of maybe two or three chances. Now he's actually creating, you know, five, six, seven chances a game. And those are, you know, he's going to start converting multiple game, multiple goals in games. And, you know, right now he's just on fire. and You cannot take him off the field and put Patterson in to start, uh, even though that was the original plan. Well, not only Patterson, but Pedro Rivero is going to be back in the next week or two here. I, I talked to him, if you guys remember, uh, mm-hmm. uh, a couple weeks ago now, and he told me that he would be about 100% by this weekend. Now I'd expect he need to need a week or two to get his fitness mm-hmm. back, but you could very well expect him to be uh, ready to be in the 18 by the next week. So how do we get these guys in the field? Because Ribeiro has been great uh, in his matches he played before his hamstring injury. Obviously, Laren's on an incredible tear right now, too. And then Patterson was the presumed starter. So we're sitting on three guys that we'd love to have in our starting lineup, and (laughs) and we've only got one position for them, really. I'm wondering if there's a a way we can – is there going to be a formation change, maybe? Or, Or what can we do to get at least a couple of these guys on the field? And that's not even to mention. Uh, our designated player, Brian Riches, might be down to the fourth or fifth string striker now sitting on the bench. Well, Brian Roches being off with the uh, the Honduran U20 team for a month is going to help help him. It, it can only help him because he's going to gain some confidence by playing on the international stage. Uh, I think what could happen, and you know, take what Rivero says with a grain of salt because players always think they're going to come back faster than they yeah. are. Um, I, I remember Tally Hall saying before the season that he thought he'd be ready for opening day. And, you know, we just finally got his first start. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Here's what I see happening with Pedro Ribeiro. Um, I think, and, and I know a lot of our fans don't like him, even though I think he does a lot of the, the little things really well. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of our fans don't like Eric Avila. And I think that Avila was brought in here to be a veteran depth player that can come in and, and provide versatility in multiple positions. Pedro Ribeiro is a guy who can play that wing position, uh, and we already know that he works well with Kaká in the midfield. So uh, a possibility is a, a midfield of, of Shea, Kaká, Ribeiro behind Laren. Um, you know, at least you know that might be something that Adrian Heath tries. What do you think, Austin? I don't know. Um... You know, as much as, as Avila, you know, he, uh, he had his best game by far against the LA Galaxy. Um, you know, he, he he actually got into the box, uh, which doesn't happen very often for him, which uh, I think a lot of fans were happy with. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think if it's working, uh, Adrian Heath will stick with it. Uh, he's not going to try and force Ribeiro back into it because he doesn't need to. Uh, as as you know, as long as they're they're competing in games and staying close, if he doesn't feel that there's a tactical advantage by putting Ribeiro in uh, and forcing him to try and play when he's not 
he's not really needed. I don't think he's going to really try and do that. Uh, but at the same time, Ribeiro does add, you know, uh, something to the game that obviously Avila doesn't. Uh, you know, Pedro Ribeiro's six three. Uh, he's good with the ball, and uh, you know, he's he's scored a number of goals for the team as well. So that, mm-hmm. you know, that that helps. But you know, like I said before, it's I, I don't think it's it's going to be needed unless something happens within the team where they need his services again. Yeah, and the thing about Avila is he's playing out of position right now. He's not a natural attacking midfielder. He's a natural defensive midfielder. He even plays some right back. Um, and he's being asked to play in, a, in a, a little bit of an unfamiliar position. So it's it's you're working against your instincts when you do that. When you get played out of position, you're, you're working a little bit against your instincts. Um, just like uh, Tyler Turner the other night against D.C., he, he let the guy go on his outside shoulder. Well, when you're right back, that's fine. You know, because you're pushing the guy farther from the net. When you're center back, you're putting him right in the middle of the pitch. And uh, obviously, Chris Rolf scored a goal. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I think that uh, Ribeiro is a guy who has shown that he really understands the way Kaká plays, and Kaká, vice versa, understands mm-hmm. the way Ribeiro plays. Um, he's physical. He's very good in the air. So that's a number of things that he can give you on that right wing um, that that Avila doesn't give you. Avila gives you a lot of uh, things, despite what our fans think. He is a good player, and he does a lot of things well. But he's being asked to do things that are not his natural forte. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens when guys get back. But the main thing is the team will finally have some depth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the important thing. You list all these players. It, it, the thing that became clear over the sort of rough patch, um, you know, following the Columbus game, there was uh, Toronto, New England, uh, the, the D.C. loss. The depth became pretty clear as an issue there. And you're starting to see some some sunshine on the horizon, so to speak, that with 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 Patterson back, with Ribeiro back. Maybe who knows? Maybe even Tony Cassio will come back at some point. We can't get a straight answer about what's wrong with him or how long he's out for. But it's at some point he might return to the team as well as a valuable player. So slowly but surely, there seems to be some light at the end of the tunnel with some of these players who we expected to contribute finally actually being in a position to contribute. Hey, and don't forget Lewis Neal as well. He's been out since the right. what, the second second game of the of the year. And no, you know, with him and Cassio, people seem to forget they're even on the team anymore. It's kind of funny because uh, you you really don't hear any news about them. So I'll, I'll tell you what: if you want a job at the mainland, go get a coach to give me a straight answer about when Tony Cassio and Lewis Neal are going to be back <laughs> on the field. Because I cannot get one, no matter how many times I ask. So if you, if you want a job, give me that answer, and you're on the team. Well, it's it's always a week or two away. Always, <laughs> That's right? Mm-hmm. Three weeks go by, and it's still a week or two away. Um, speaking of guys coming back, uh, before we get to our guest, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the somewhat unexpected start on Sunday of Tally Hall in the net. Um, you know, we've been waiting for this guy. Here's speaking of guys who people forgot he was on the team. This guy was one of the first pickups in the off season, you know, we, when we built that spine of the team and we knew that he was coming off an ACL injury when the original deal was made with Houston to bring him on, you know, he, he hadn't gotten hurt, but then he got hurt shortly after the deal was made and uh, they went through with the deal. Everything was good. Looked good. They went through, uh, had him seen by doctors and all of that. He went, underwent a long lengthy ACL rehab, uh, has been training on his own for a long time, started training with the team very recently. And on Sunday, you know, uh, Adrian Heath found, felt it was time to put him in. I can't argue with the decision. We didn't really, he wasn't really tested, but I think we can all agree that Donovan Ricketts was pretty average uh, in the in the net. He wasn't making like game saving 
stops. He was, you know, making the saves he probably should make, but maybe not making the, you know, the ones that are really vital. And having Tally Hall in there seemed to give that back line a lot of impetus to keep the ball away from their, their area. They didn't want their goalkeeper to be overtaxed in his first game. And, you know, the back four played superbly on Sunday, and Tally Hall maybe organizing them part of that. Yeah, I mean... To be fair, Tally Hall really had not much to do back there on uh, on Sunday. It was kind of just uh, a nice, quiet day at the office for him, uh, mm-hmm. which is a great, it's it's perfect situation for him just as a first game back, uh, kind of get the mental block out of there, you know, I'm back on the field kind of thing. Um, and it's nice not to really have to be tested too much in that situation. So now going into this game on Sunday, away from home, uh, you know, hopefully Tally will be, uh, you know, will have not much to do again, but if he's called into service, uh, he should be more than ready. Yeah, yeah, no, no problem. Tally Hall's performance, obviously, hard to really judge there. He had one shot on goal for the whole 90 minutes against him, so uh, hard to really make any judgments. He, he looked a little nervy at first. He kicked the ball out of bounds at some point. I think he had a cross kind of go through his hands. Uh, early in the match that was uneventful. But, you know, I'm sure he'll get back. And I agree with you totally, Michael, in that Donovan Ricketts was a fine fill, and I'm not going to complain about his performance. He did what he was brought in to do. Um, but it, he didn't show me anything that, that would make me think we need to commit to him to be our starter for the rest of the year. Yep, so a tally haul it is, and um, we'll probably see much more of him moving forward as he gets more confident and stronger. I thought that as the game wore on, he looked better on crosses and corner kicks. Uh, came out, snatched the ball out of the air with authority, punched with authority, did a good job of controlling his box in the second half of, game, of the game especially. And, um, you know, it, it's it's just good to see him, and, and you could tell that the team sort of rallied around him. And, uh, you know, a, a great performance by his two center backs uh, helped that out quite a bit. So... We'll look for that moving forward. We're going to go now, speaking of moving forward, we're going to move forward and talk to our guest uh, who's going to tell us a little bit about the San Jose Earthquakes. And uh, why don't we get to that right now? All right, joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast is Robert Jonas. He's the managing editor for Center Line Soccer, the SB Nation San Jose Earthquakes blog, and uh, we welcome you to the show, Robert. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. People can, uh, you can, if you want to follow along with uh, their coverage of uh, the, the game Sunday, their centerlinesoccer.com, and they are on SB Nation, one of our sister blogs. Uh, Robert, I wanted to have you on because, you know, as a, as a Western Conference opponent, um, you know, a lot of your games are are on kind of late. We don't necessarily get to see the earthquakes a lot, but you guys are off to a really good start. I wanted you to tell me a little bit about, you know, where this team is versus expectations because uh, the earthquakes didn't have a very good season last year. No, not at all. In fact, I think everyone in the organization is doing their absolute best to forget 2014 at this point. You know, they finished lower than Chivas USA, and that's a team that doesn't even exist anymore. So uh, you can only really go up from there. And uh, what, what's happened this season is, is, is quite remarkable. It, it starts with uh, head coach Dominic Kinnear, who had spent his entire nine-slash-ten years prior with the Houston Dynamo, the only coach that organization has ever known, um, back in San Jose, a team where he got his first head coaching gig. And he's really put a stamp on this organization that 
that, that that had been missing over the last couple of years. You know, Coach Mark Watson, who's the assistant with you guys now, he was the the head coach here at San Jose. You know, didn't quite have it all together last year, as the record indicated, and a, a big change was needed. Uh, they brought in a veteran coach in Dominic Kinnear, and he's been able to mold his veteran players into a core group that's uh, now been uh, ex- accented with some nice pickups in the ex- in the reentry draft, and also a rookie, uh, Fatai Alashe, who I'll have a chance to talk about a little bit, I'm sure, that's uh, kind of transformed the center of the park for this team. So, you know, almost night and day from last year, uh, a lot of other things going on, of course, but it's the head coach change that's made the biggest difference. Now, a particularly exciting point for the match this weekend is that uh, uh, Chris Wondolowski, longtime star MLS player, United States national team guy, has a chance to score his 100th goal, I think, um, that, in Major League Soccer. Is that right? That is correct, yes. He's at 99 yeah. right now. And that's a big deal. I, I believe the number, he'll be the ninth, I think, the ninth ever player in Major League Soccer history to score a triple-digit goal. So really big deal. Um, a, you know, do you think he does that this weekend? Does he make it happen? And B, just talk a little bit about what he what he brings as sort of the most recognizable player probably on the team. He is. In fact, uh, you know, Chris is still kind of kicking himself that he didn't get the 100th goal against Columbus last weekend. Uh, you know, the Quakes played nearly 60 minutes with a man advantage, and, and that's Wando did get his first goal and seemed to really be knocking on the door to get the a second, a third, or fourth even. He was really on, on fire. Well, he, I, I, hope he's, I hope he's still kicking himself for that Belgium chance, too. <laughs> I, I, I yes, yes. for that. So. No, I, I know most of the country is definitely uh, you know, not going to let him forget that. And actually, to that point, you know, Chris doesn't forget that either. He's, you know, I've gotten a chance to to, to get to know him very well since uh, he arrived in in San Jose in a trade with the Houston Dynamo back in 2009. It's sort of a throwaway trade; no one thought of it at the time. But he slowly but surely made himself a fixture on the Earthquakes, and it, it's not just Chris, but it's the players around him that uh, that have uh, kind of excelled as a group. You know, he won't forget that miss. That's something that uh, he kind of uses as a as a as a pretty significant amount of motivation to continue to move forward. And I. I don't think he would, uh, you know, he would say that it was, uh, you, know, you know, something to be forgotten. It's quite the opposite. You know, he knows it's going to be that moment that'll that'll be uh, unfortunately living throughout history. Yeah, but you look at him today, and and you know, any any other player may have taken that miss and, and completely, you know, lost their mental focus, been unable to to really move forward. But he came back to the earthquakes last season. He he got his scoring up to double digits again, the fifth straight year that he's done that. He has six goals currently this year, and is is very quick, you know, very uh, made very shortly be the first player in MLS history with six straight uh, double digit to scoring seasons, which would be again quite remarkable. Uh, one goal away from a hundred. You know, there's a, a few players on that list, Edson Buttle, Taylor Twelman, Dwayne De Rosario, that are only a few goals ahead of him right now. You know, it's conceivable he'll be at number five by the end of the 2015 season if he if he puts in a regular shift as he's done these this uh, these last five or six years for the for the earthquakes. Uh, will it come this weekend? Uh, they like the big stage. I mean, the Earthquakes have done very well in, on the big stage currently. They play at, uh, this game will be at Levi Stadium, of course, which is the, the home of the San Francisco 49ers. They're expecting a nice-sized crowd there for, for the Memorial Day weekend. And, uh, you know, a lot of players there will, or a lot of fans there will love to see Kaka, but uh, they're going to definitely be supporting the, the, the hometown Earthquakes. Hey, Robert, um, I wanted to ask you, now that you're on the topic of stadiums, obviously, Levi's, uh, I believe this is going to be the first time that you guys are playing at Levi's this year, right? 
Yes, this year, the first time. It's a, it's an agreement that the Earthquakes made to the 49ers organization. One time per year, they'll be playing at Levi's. This year, it was decided to be against Orlando. Cool. And I, but I wanted to ask you about you know the Earthquakes' actual home. You know their new state-of-the-art soccer-specific stadium. Um, how, how do you actually pronounce it? Avaya. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's okay. correct. So now, obviously, you've been there for for many of the uh, the Earthquakes' home games. Um, yeah, what what makes it so unique? Obviously, Orlando's in the middle, in the midst of trying to get their their whole deal going with their uh, soccer specific stadium. But what makes what makes Avaya Stadium so unique for you? Yeah, I've had a chance to, to visit a lot of the different stadiums around the league, and and one thing that impressed me about Avaya Stadium is it's not you know it's not a full of frills and extras and things like that. It's a very basic design. Uh, it's only three sides of, a, of, a, of the rectangle. They left one side open, uh, which incidentally they filled with a gigantic outdoor bar, which uh, I have no complaints about. Uh, <laughs> if only they had press access down there, too. Uh, oh. But uh, yeah, The Wi-Fi is not bad. Uh, but Avaya Stadium is uh, 18,000 seats. Uh, people are right on top of the action. Uh, it, it really presents a nice home field advantage in terms of that noise and, and, and that's something as, as players that, that you take to heart you want your you want your fans behind you you know likewise I've heard from visiting players that a, you know, it is a very different place to play in terms of you know what they're used to seeing when they come out here for Buckshaw Stadium the, the temporary home that the Quakes were in uh, it's it's proving to be a good home field advantage for the team uh, and you know again some of the amenities that they have put in are the important ones for for fans of soccer both uh, the uh, the great sight lines the great sound and of course the the great outdoor bar now robert um you know you can't say no frills when your stadium's got craft beers the way san jose's does um <laughs> well well like i say the priorities are there <laughs> that's all the frills that this guy needs i'll tell you that um, so I want to talk to you about, a little bit about one of your players that uh, is a newer guy. Uh, I have gotten to see a few of the Earthquakes games this year, and um, thanks, uh, MLS Live. Uh, one of the guys that's really impressed me is the third designated player that the Earthquakes signed, Innocent Amagara. Uh, talk about his uh, contributions to the team a little bit. And tell us you know, what uh, he does to get this team going, because it seems like uh, the team has, like, that he really does spark this team a bit. Yeah, Innocent was the the latest signings, uh, a big signing for them in the in the off season. He is the highest paid player on the payroll right now. Um, you know, unfortunately for for San Jose, he he picked up a pretty significant injury a, a few weeks ago now, and you know will will not be playing this weekend, and unfortunately won't be playing for a number of weekends, which is uh, you know kind of been unfortunate for the start since uh, he came in as, as such a, an electric player as a forward. You know, I will speak to one of the other designated players who maybe doesn't get enough attention but really truly deserves it which is uh, Mateus Perez Garcia uh, a, a you know, short in, uh, Argentinian central def, uh, midfielder uh, he plays that role with with uh, you know, a great eye to you know getting his teammates involved in the action also very intelligent player gets himself into positions to be fouled and create a lot of set piece opportunities for the team you know if you're watching this game on television this weekend yeah he's the guy in the middle number 10 that you're going to want to keep your eyes open for you know, it's the offense works through him, uh, especially through the midfield, uh, just like the number ten you guys uh, got over there in Orlando, uh, a his, player what's that's his, critical. What's his name again? Uh, <laughs> yours or ours? Because uh, <laughs> ours has quite a few it's, more names than yours. Uh, but, it's Ricky. Yeah, there we go. That guy. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but uh, you know, it, it, MPG as we call him, he he's a real he's been a real superstar for this team so far, and for many, uh, you know, the MP uh, the MVP MPG. Uh, there we go. So, uh, for for many that have followed the team. Well, so you okay, know, sorry. Uh, before, sorry, I didn't mean to step on you. So, uh, aside from innocent, are there any other significant knocks that we need to be aware of for this weekend? Not really. The, the The team came out of a pretty significant road trip, four games on the road without a home game, uh, without any significant injuries other than Innocent. Uh, he was, of course, the big one there. Uh, they're really rounding into shape, especially on defense, where they've got a couple of World Cup veterans and Clarence Goodson and Victor Bernardes playing at center back. You know, that's been a very big bright spot for them. Uh, speed is where they try to uh, get teams on the wings, and, and they've got players like Shea Salinas having a really spectacular start to the year. Uh, you know, kind of manning things on one side, and a player that may, has meant a lot to him since he's come back from injury, a player that was uh, very significant in the win against Columbus, Jordan Stewart, a defender on the back line uh, as a uh, as a left fullback. So no new injuries to report, uh, rather guys that are actually really rounding into shape given the early season, you know, niggling injuries that they had to deal with, and uh, they're coming at uh, this weekend at pretty much full strength. Well, let's let's talk tactics a little bit and expand on that. Um, so, so San Jose, you know, a little bit different maybe than sort of the the common team, the most popular. You know, I guess the fullbacks are sort of the big position right now in a lot of soccer and these attacking fullbacks. You know, whether we had Breck Shea back there for a while and our youngster Rafael Ramos, but a lot of teams doing that in MLS now. And I'm not sure that's so much San Jose's. Forte, they're a little more defensive-minded fullbacks and really a solid defensive backline, and then just sort of throw a lot of offensive players forward with a lot of attacking players in the in the midfield and then up top. Could you talk a little about what, what we can expect tactically from and strategically from the earthquakes? Yeah, absolutely, and I'll use the Columbus game as a model, and, and not necessarily the 60 minutes where they played a man up, but what we were seeing out of the team in the first 30 minutes when it was still 11 v. 11. You know, what, what the Earthquakes were doing very effectively is allowing uh, the rookie Fataya Lache, a player I mentioned earlier, uh, kind of sit in that defensive midfielder role. He, he kind of shields off the center backs and, and, and patrols the middle. His task is going to be in big part uh, to keep his eyes uh, open for Kaká and try to follow him on his runs. You know, in terms of the rest of the defense, you know, you have Marvell Wynn on one side and Jordan Stewart on the other side. Two guys that will bomb forward on occasion in the Breck Shea mode, um, but also recognize that their uh, their defensive responsibilities are, are number one. Yeah, you, you, know, you think about a guy like Marvell Wynn in particular. He's been in the league forever now. I remember him yes. playing in BC back in the day when I was living up there and primarily a defender. Yeah, he brings just some stuff on offense, but he's not like a lot of these teams where the fullbacks are only defenders in name. He is a pure defender, played some center back in his career, some stuff like that. That's absolutely correct. And, and what, they, what they've what they relied on him this season, he was a pickup uh, in the offseason, is a guy who has enough uh, you know pace that he can get back on defense if he does move a forward in any way. You know, you won't see him you know above the center line too often. You know, he's going to station himself in his defensive and let uh, Sana Niasi, who plays ahead of him on the wing, do most of the business up in the, uh, the attacking third. The same goes on the other side where Shea Salinas is in, in charge of getting crosses into the box, a good provider for the, for the team. Team, you know, with Jordan Stewart manning the position behind him. You know, the interesting one uh, is Chris Wondolowski, who for quite a bit of this season has been dropping much more into a midfield role where he sort of plays behind the forward, in this case, uh, Adam John is the starting forward. And, uh, you know, Wando is a, is a, a, a true, you know, 
you know, exemplar of what it means to poach in the, in, the, in the penalty area. But playing out of that midfield now, he gets in there a little bit later in plays, and I think he's actually finding even more space than he was sometimes when he was playing up as a target forward. And that's made him, I think, more lethal than he, than he certainly was last season and is sort of mo- kind of giving us a, a new look in terms of offense. But it definitely is almost a foosball table of defenders and forwards that are, that are playing those positions in a much more static way than, like you say, some of the teams are showing these days. Now, Robert, I actually wanted to ask you about uh, Adam John, because I, I remember him last year. He was on loan to uh, Sacramento, and I watched a, a bit of him when he was there. And now he's getting you know, significant minutes with San Jose. What have you seen you know, from, from John? He's a, he's a big guy at 6'3", but what have you seen you know, from him this year so far uh, that's you know, warranted him uh, you know, starting minutes and whatnot? Yeah, well, he is the the only player on the team you could consider a target forward, and you know if the, it's sort of an earthquake's tradition to have somebody up top to bang around central defenders. You know, that's really not what Wondolowski is able to do. He he can't handle some of these big physical defenders, at least in the fifty-fifty balls and the aerial challenges and the like. So that's really Adams John's uh, game right now. We kind of laughingly call him the punching bag in the press row because he's he's basically out there just to <laughs> take it, if you will, and do everything he can to to let the other guys uh, have space. Now he's more than just that, of course. You know, he uh, he's twenty-four now. He's had a couple of years of MLS experience. The year he spent with Sacramento, you know, under the tutelage of, of head coach Precky, the, the MLS legend, uh, really taught him what it meant to get involved in the attacking game. And that was something I think he really kind of needed that that push, that confidence to, to get much more involved. He knows he should have scored some goals this year. It hasn't happened yet, but he's getting himself involved and getting himself in the positions that you know we might not have seen out of, a, out of an Adam John in, in the last two years. So not a, necessarily the first guy you're going to look at to score goals for the Earthquakes, but a guy who's making enough space for players like Chris Wondolowski, Shea Salinas, Sananiyan, guys to get into the box and, and start creating opportunities. Well, they'll be happy to hear that uh, Aurelian Collins probably not going to be playing this weekend because um, that, that will help them out. Uh, the the center backs for Orlando that will be in, uh, Seb Hines and Sean St. Ledger, solid guys, but not not the uh, the big thumpers uh, you know, uh, to the same extent that Aurelian Collins is. Hines is very good in the air, but uh, yeah, he's no Aurelian Collins, so uh, that could play into San Jose's uh, favor this weekend. But Robert, I wanted to ask you uh, a little bit about what uh, you know, what sort of shape we can expect the not only what shape that San Jose will, will kind of come out with tactically on Sunday, but I also wanted to ask you a little bit about the. It's a little two-part question. I'm cheating um, about the fans out in San Jose and what they know about Orlando City and what they sort of think about us or, or what the perception is of, of this uh, expansion club? Sure. Well, I'll start with the second one first, because I think it's a, it's a really interesting question. Um, you know, an expansion team is not expected to do well, uh, and traditionally it has been difficult. And, you know, you know, Chicago was an expansion team in name only when they came in and won the league their first year, and Seattle had a, a pretty established program when they, when they came into Major League Soccer. But other expansion teams, you know, the model is not one of, of necessarily of success. You know, but you know, Orlando comes with some big names, and I think that's what people—that's what people know. You know, every advertising board, every poster, every commercial I've seen so far, Kaká's right there, center. You know, even Wando's sort of put into the shadow. So, you know, they're—they're they're selling Orlando as uh, you know a bunch of guys in purple and a guy named Kaká in the middle. Um, 
I will say this, you know, having seen the game, and I know many of the, the fans who, who follow the, the league in, as, as a whole were very impressed with the results Orlando had last week against the Galaxy. And, and by no, you know, everyone, of course, was quite happy to see that. We all love seeing the Galaxy. <laughs> You're welcome, San Jose. Thank you very much, exactly. <laughs> um, it may well, not I, been... I think we owe them a thank you, too, for beating, uh, beating Columbus on a red card. I feel like they kind of returned the favor for us. So I think we both, uh, both teams did a, did a favor for each other this past weekend. That's true. Indeed, indeed. I'm not sure they'll do favors this weekend for each other. But uh, last, week, <laughs> last weekend it worked out quite nicely. Yeah, but you know, having, having that coming into it, you know, coming off a big, big win over the, the Earthquake's main rival has gotten people's attention as well. And it's like, Wow, you know, this is a team maybe we need to spend a little more time paying attention to. So you know that alone has given you know people a little more impetus to seek out uh, some extra information on them. Um, it's it's what's going to be interesting about the tactics. You know, going back to the first part of your question, you know, what how are the earthquakes going to line up? Levi Stadium, the field there is going to be the same dimensions as a, as it is at Abaya. It's about 70, 72 yards wide. It's not an extremely wide field, but the earthquakes kind of like that more narrow field where they can get just up and down much more quickly. Uh, I expect and given the experience they've had there uh, last year and also the experience they have in the bigger stadiums, the game will be a little more wide open because you don't have that kind of claustrophobic feeling that they do in their home stadium. Plus, you don't have the fans right on top of them either. So I think that kind of plays a little less to their strengths and a little more to allowing the opponent uh, space to do things. You know, they, they line up in anywhere between a a 4-3-3, a 4-1-4-1. I've seen the, the midfield described as a diamond midfield. Uh, the fact of the matter is that you'll see it evolve as the game progresses. You know, Dom Kinnear is not afraid to get out on the touchline and tell people what to do. And uh, you'll see the changes. Wingers will switch sides and, and, and the like as they kind of look for openings in the opponent's defense. So is it one formation and one that's static? Not at all. But it is one that uh, is constantly looking for an advantage. Any, uh, any. All right. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Michael. I was just going to say, you know, we're not going to let you get out of here without a prediction. Um, no, no way. I think we've we've used up enough of your time for this evening. I know you've got a lot of writing and editing to do, so we want to get your prediction on what's going to happen on Sunday. Uh, the Quakes do not blow teams out, nor do the Quakes get scored on very often. So I wouldn't expect you'll see anything of a four nothing, if you will. <laughs> uh, they're going to be ready to go. The Levi's game is one that everyone circled on the calendar as a, as a showcase game for the team. Uh, and like I say, a Memorial Day weekend, they're expecting a really nice crowd out there. Uh, expect the earthquakes, if they can uh, kind of, again, limit the man in the middle for you guys to uh, to kind of grind this one out and keep it close. You know, it's going to be a goal either way. I hate making predictions of exact scores, but let's say the winner wins by one goal. How about that? <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Robert Jonas, uh, managing editor for Centerline Soccer. You can follow them on centerlinesoccer.com. Uh, and your your what's your Twitter uh, feed for the for the blog? So it's uh, C T R L I N E Soccer. So we had to shorten it because of those silly Twitter rules there. So there you go. Yes. All right, follow them on Twitter, and uh, you know they'll I'm sure they'll have all the San Jose sided game coverage as as we will on the mainland uh, for the Orlando side. Thanks so much, uh, Robert. We've been wanting to get in touch with you for a while. We appreciate your time, and uh, thanks for joining the Mainland Podcast tonight. Well, again, thanks for having me. Well, we want to thank our special guest this week, Robert Jonas from Centerline Soccer, for uh, telling us all there is to know about San Jose earthquakes. Uh, Sunday night should be pretty fun. Um, 
I don't know, guys. We can't get out of here until we talk about this match and who's going to win and who's going to score goals and all that kind of thing. Um, we'll start with you, Andrew. What's your what's your prediction? No, let, you know what? Let's start with Austin this time. Austin, we're going to start with you. What's, what's your prediction? And is Kyle Lahren going to keep this thing going? No, as, as far as the game itself goes, um, it, it's it's going to be at a football stadium. Uh, Orlando City seems, uh, you know... I don't know. They they started to do well at football stadiums because they played at the Citrus Bowl, but then again, you know, they had that whole not winning thing going for them earlier on. Uh so I'm not sure how it'll go because again, West Coast uh, it's kind of a different animal over there. Uh but the last time Orlando City went to the West Coast in Portland, they won 2-0. Uh, it's a toss-up for me. I'm going to say a 1-1 draw with Wondolowski getting his 100th goal and Kyle Larin scoring a header. Hmm. All right. Well, I, w- I was wondering where you were going to go with all that um, <laughs> talking to yourself. You yeah. were trying to talk yourself into, an, into a result there, and I don't know where you were going with that. But, uh, I, I, okay. I rambled. With... I rambled a bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, that happens. That <laughs> happens to the best of us. Um, so 1-1 draw says uh, Austin D. How about you, Andrew? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about retiring from predictions. Uh, I'm so poor with Orlando City. They've been, a, <laughs> they've been a hard, they've been a hard team to predict. They're, they're all over the place. I mean, who in their right mind would have said that the defending champion LA Galaxy would come to town and Orlando uh, City would blow them out four to nothing? So stuff like that uh, uh, throws me off a little bit. They're going to go on the road here, though, where they've been good. Let's not forget they've, they've still been a good road team, even though they finally got that home win. Have been a good road team this year. I think, like we we talked about, they're starting to get a little bit healthy. They've got a few guys back. We might see more contribution from Patterson this week. Laren's on fire. Uh, Tally Hall's back in net with a game under his belt. Uh, I think Orlando comes in with some some good good feelings, good vibes around the team, a few more players back, uh, and actually has a pretty good chance to steal one on the road here. I think San Jose is a good team. Uh, They're certainly playing better this year than they did last year, as we talked about. Uh, but I'm, I'm still not convinced they're, they're an elite team in, in MLS yet. Uh, and I think Orlando might surprise some people and maybe come out with a, a 2-1 win in San Jose uh, at Levi Stadium. And I think, uh, I think Kyle Lahren does continue his goal streak uh, for five straight games. Oh, wow. All right. Well, um, so it's up down to me now. And I'm going to say that it's really hard to make that West Coast trip and, and, and have it uh, work out the way you want it to, especially against a really hard-working team like San Jose. I think that they're what they do lack in talent, I think they really make up for in hustle. I think they're a team that really um, pushes hard and, and makes things difficult for their opponents. And uh, the Columbus crew found that out, although they were down a man. Uh, I'm not ready to predict a win in that game, but I will predict a 2-2 two to two draw. I think that uh, Orlando's offense has started to come around. Uh, but I also think that uh, San Jose's got some dangerous weapons, including Wondolowski, who seems to be all over the pitch when, whenever I see them play anymore. Um, uh, I'm not going to say who all is going to be goal scoring for the two teams, but I think Breck Shea finally gets his account open hmm. with Orlando City and, and finds a way to score, whether it be a header or maybe putting in a, a rebound, cleaning up some garbage in front of the net. Um, I, I, I see a 2-2 draw. And of course, it will be absolutely completely wrong. Mm. <laughs> have we? Have we? Have we? Has any of us actually been right with a a prediction this yet this year yet? 
I don't think so. Yeah. And I definitely wouldn't have been right predicting an L.A. game. I no. definitely can tell you right now <laughs> I wasn't going to predict anywhere near 4-0. So, uh, well, I might have predicted 4-0. I just wouldn't have predicted the way that it, the way that it happened. So uh, so there you have it. You can uh, come back and ridicule us uh, anytime you want in the comments. Um, appreciate you listening. You know, we're on the, the iTunes. We're on the... Uh, you know the blog talk radio thing so so catch us there and Stitcher as well and uh, if you have any interest in helping support our podcast you can uh, write us at themainland at gmail.com that's T-H-E-M-A-N-E-L-A-N-D at gmail.com if you would uh, like to uh, support uh, us and uh, help your business a little bit you can hit us up and uh, we'll talk so guys uh, that's going to just about wrap up this edition of the Mainland Podcast, and we're going to have another nationally televised game on Sunday against the San Jose Earthquakes out on the road. And, uh, you know, I the one thing that I, we didn't mention, Orlando City is 3-1 against the Western Conference. I like those odds. So that's pretty amazing. <laughs> With wins over Portland, Houston, and both of those on the road, and uh, obviously L.A. at home. And the the lone loss came in the 96th minute, sixth minute of four minutes of stoppage time against the Vancouver Whitecaps. So uh, <laughs> it was it was very nearly what uh, ten points out of a, a possible twelve against the Western Conference. The Western Conference is supposed to be the better one, so I don't know what's going on, but I'll take it. If we can continue to beat up on the West, that's fine with me. So uh, anyway, we'll be back next week to to break down the San Jose match and to talk look ahead uh, to Columbus. And uh, so for Andrew Marcinko and Austin David, I am Mainland.com Managing Editor Michael Citro signing off. Go City! <laughs>